Hello, everyone. Welcome back to yet another special episode of Technicali. Um, this one is far more special. Well, we can't say far more special, but this is an auspicious one because today we're joined by a Distributor Power Africa CEO, Norman Moyle, who's graciously decided to join us on our little merriment into conversations in different spheres of, um, of tech and uh, tech sims coverage. Uh, so before we get into that, I'll let, uh, obviously joined by um, Hufaro, the developer, and Edwin, um, the media guy. Um, and um, so just the briefest of backgrounds on DPA. DPA is, um, is an Econet subsidiary or, an Econet, or part of the Econet family of companies, but their main aim is basically just renewable energy. So I'm pretty sure you've heard or seen of their projects across Africa, but to properly get into that, um, I'd like uh, Norman to walk us through uh, DPA and what it's about. Uh, thank you, Valentine. Um, I think, and um, uh, good day to the, uh, your viewers and your listeners. Um, Distributed Power Africa, we, are, we consider ourselves a Pan-African uh, distributed player, energy player, uh, primarily renewable energy partner. Uh, we are everything energy in the continent and we're trying to address some of the chronic uh, energy crisis that we are seeing. I think a major infrastructure issue in Africa is to fix the energy uh, challenge. And so that's how we started building the business uh, Distributed Power Africa, focusing primarily on com com commercial and industrial players that needs power, uh, telecom players that needs power, and we are now shifting into homes that needs power. With COVID, we now have got home people working from home and studying from home, and the need for stable power is key just to even remain connected and for the economy to really operate and function. So we look at that spectrum as our key focus area. Um, and we consider what we call embedded generation as our preferred uh, route to market where we show up to your office or to your home and we are saying your roof is a dumb roof because it's not sitting there gathering a lot of dust. So why don't we just spruce it up and put some panels on top of it so it becomes a smart roof. Uh, once you start generating power, you can actually power a good part of your home or your business during the day using solar. I'll visit you again and I would like to put some storage so that during the day, you're likely to be generating more power than you need. And so we put it in the battery and you can even use it at night. The journey should be able to take you off grid. We think, we believe the future is in every home and every business being able to generate its own power and being able to consume its own power. Even better still, it can even start selling power to the next building. Then you become what we call a prosumer. You can produce, you can also consume, and you can actually earn an income out of utilizing your roof. So if you're a business, it's your car park, it's your roof, it's some of your facilities, they all can start utilizing energy. And as you know, we can really pack up a lot of power on top of your roofs and empower most of your business needs, uh, whether it's in Zimbabwe, South Africa, Kenya, Nigeria, Ivory Coast, those are some of the markets that we are operating in. Okay, so okay. that's so. Go ahead. Sorry, for <laughs> no, sorry, for 
Okay, I go ahead then. Yes, you can. All right, sure. Um, so I'm actually happy that uh, one of your key focus areas is residential um, installations, because in 2017, there was approximately 573 million people in sub-Saharan Africa that didn't have electricity. Um, so I wanted to just find out what has DPA been doing um, since it started operations um, to achieve the sustainable development goal, which is targeting universal access to electricity in 2030, and particularly how extensive is the DPA network of grids and installations in Africa? So there are very different segments that one has to look at from an energy perspective in the continent. So there's what we call the CNI, which is the commercial and industrial players that needs a lot of reliable power. They need a lot of captive power to be able to fire up their operations, whether it's manufacturing, whether it's data centers, whether it's breweries, and whether it's the DHLs and the Unilevers of this world. That's a commercial industrial sector. They need a minimum of 50 kilowatt all the way up to five megawatt, in some cases, even as much as 20 megawatts, especially for the mining communities. And so that's a key segment of the market that we are focusing on. The second segment of the market is what we call rural mini grids or microgrids. As you probably know, we've got a subsidiary business called UGESI. UGESI stands for uh, energy in Debele Zulu. And our UGESI business is now looking at rolling out energy into rural Africa. Now, rural Africa, if you look at certain markets like Zimbabwe, there is a lot of growth points in Zimbabwe. Some of them have not had power for more than 100 years. And yet that growth point, there is a primary school, there's a secondary school, there is probably five to six grocery stores, and there's a community around that growth point, but they don't have access to power. Uh, even in some cases, there's a small clinic there. So we are using this model of building mini grids and building reticulation around the mini grid and building a prepaid payment modality system that is connected to your eco-cash, your M-Pesas of this world, so that a rural villager now is able to actually access power by paying whatever, two, three dollars using their mobile money, their mobile money platform, and the lights can start showing. So this involves a very different way of thinking of how to power up rural Africa. That speaks to the 573 million people you have mentioned there. That's a solution that can speak and solve the rural electrification challenge of the continent. To try to build a massive transmission network, a grid network into the communities, if it has taken us 100 years to do it, it will probably take us quite a bit of time, especially if we can't even power the cities that, are, that needs power a lot more agently and could create economic turmoil if power continues to be problematic. So the Ugesi business model, which we have created is meant to address the challenges of getting power to rural Africa. Of course, if you read about Ugesi, you'll find out that we have actually built a model which creates a confluence of energy and agriculture because the moment you deliver that energy to the rural growth point or community, you are actually able to activate some significant 
agricultural activities. So in Dolwane, in, in, in Matebedeland, we have launched our first Ugesi site, which is now anchoring both powering the telecom tower in the area, it's powering the grocery stores, it's powering the communities, there's a primary school and a secondary school. But what's more exciting is we are working with a number of developmental agencies and we've created a poultry project around that site. You can imagine 100 villagers each producing a thousand day old chickens every six weeks and being able to commercially actually sell those chickens into the city and even in some cases exporting them. So all of a sudden we've created a completely new economy in rural Ndolwane and that's the way and the route that we believe could be used to transform rural Africa and build and address this 573 million people you're talking to. So that's the second segment. The third segment, as I said, is the residential. That is a man in the city, whether you live in an apartment, whether you live in a standalone home, whether you're in a compound, as long as you've got a roof on top of your house, or in some cases, we could just start with a storage solution where we bring in a five to 10 kilowatt storage solution. Storage is what some people call inverter. We bring it in, we're able to look after immediately your critical loads. Because when power goes off, the first thing you feel is your internet at the moment. You don't want your internet to go off. You don't want your lights to go off. Most likely you like to keep your refrigerator working and maybe your security. Now, a simple five kilowatt system can deliver that. Later on, we can then come in and kit it up with solar panels and we can start the journey to getting you to power to independence, the journey to beginning to clean up, to decarbonize most of the uh, energy that we find in the continent. So that's a third segment. So you can keep going on and on, addressing different segments in that format. So that's how we've compartmentalized and how we are approaching the continental challenge in energy. But we have to start with the burning platform, which is we need to keep the industries working. When an industry goes down because of power or is forced to run a generator, that increases the cost of doing business exponentially. It also damages the equipment. So if you see what happened in SWEPS, we ended up putting a one megawatt there. That's a significant investment that really gives them both energy security and also gives them uh, energy, uh, clean energy and addresses the carbon needs for the corporate. All right, so you, you touched on what I wanted to ask you about the corporate element uh, because TPA has been making some serious moves on the continent of late. Um, speaking broadly on the continent, there's the most recent one, TPA and Metal Solar, sorry, is uh, 1.2 investment into the East Africa data center. Um, there's also the one, the most, most recent one with Zola um, Electric for the distribution of, of, of their systems. Um, Focusing more on Zimbabwe, um, I know Africa, there are a lot of things happening on the continent because of the span that DPA runs. But coming to Zimbabwe, uh, the deals with, for example, Econet, uh, the, the, the one for Schweppes, Econet, Kefalos, uh, Sari. Um, how are you, how, how is the navigation of, of the Zimbabwean market going? Is there, are, are they receptive towards uh, DPA's push uh, towards uh, transforming their business to a solar or renewable, um, uh, to a solar and more renewable angle? 
or are you facing some resistance in, in, in that? No, I, I think uh, let's, let's stick on Zimbabwe, as you say. Uh, we found the, both the regulator and the government a great ally in the energy story. Uh, maybe we say, as they say, necessity is the mother of invention, innovation. So we found them to be a lot more progressive and a lot more receptive than we even thought. First and foremost, from a regulatory framework perspective, they've not put any spanners in the works. If anything, both the current minister and the previous minister, they've been very forthcoming. We talk almost very regularly, which we like a lot. The regulator have been very uh, progressive and very forward thinking in terms of saying, we need to find a solution. Because when you look at energy, when I deploy a megawatt, it sweeps. What I'm able to do is I'm actually substituting or saving the government the much needed forex, which could be used to buy drugs and food by making sure that we are taming the sun. Because when we tame the sun, we create, it's, a, it's an abundant source of energy. You save the company from, from a cost perspective because solar is, a, solar is the cheapest form of energy today. So you don't need to run a generator during the day. You can run uh, your solar plant. We have also innovated to be able to integrate our generator to our solar PV. So today you could actually put a one megawatt of solar and integrate it to the generator and integrate it to ZESA, which means you've got a full hybrid solution that works whether there is ZESA, whether there is no ZESA. Your PV will work full on. And that's a huge uh, advance in the technology that we have done. So we, we are quite very, we are very happy with the support we're getting from the government in that regard. They don't stand in the way. They've also made it very easy for us to bring in equipment and import uh, energy uh, equipment into the country. They've also categorized energy as a, a special sector that has been receiving a lot of support even from the Reserve Bank. So in that regards, I would say they've laid the red carpet for us. Now, corporates on the other side have been a bit hesitant. I think part of it has been the challenge of the investment needed. We try to encourage that most of the customers, we don't want them to put their capital or capex into energy. Because if you sell, if you are say a SWEPS and you sell Mazoe, that's your core business. Your core business is not energy. It's actually an accident of history that you end up trying to become an energy company. So we try to go into the client and say, let us make the investment ourselves. You commit to pay to buy the power that we generate and we become your power partner. So between ourselves and Zesa, we become your power partner. So we will then integrate the system to make sure that it keeps your plant and your operations working seamlessly. Because what you need is good quality power. You need energy security. You also need to make sure that the cost of energy is not exorbitant. Today, if you are running a generator, it's anything up to 30 cents per kilowatt hour. Yet, if you are running solar, it's as low as 10 cents per kilowatt hour, depending on the size of the system. So it's almost three times cheaper to run a solar plant. So we are now encouraging corporates to take that leap of faith because I think there's always the nervousness that says the economy is not yet stable.
can we commit to a 15-year or a 10-year uh, deal? And that's what we ask. Commit anything between seven to 15 years, we will make the investment. We will deploy the system. We will manage and maintain it for the next seven to 15 years. You focus on your core business. And that way we all win because we've built capacity and bandwidth as a business to be able to attract good quality technology. We use the economies of scale that we have and the economies of skill that we've gathered over the past few years. And we use that to keep your lights and your power working. So I think we are very excited about some of the companies that are now beginning to take that leap of faith. We are seeing an increase in, in the continent, in some, in, sorry, in Zimbabwe. In some cases, we are also allowing what we call joint ventures with some of the big mines, for instance, they've got a huge requirements of power. So they, are, they might be a bit nervous to let go of that power component to their business, in which case we say, come to the party, let's do a 50-50 JV and let's both invest in this power. Your pension funds that have got a lot of infrastructure, we also allow what we call joint ventures with them so that they can also partake in the narrative, especially the ones that have got some property portfolios because they're not, they're not yet sure whether they should let go of their roof to someone else. We say, until you're sure, come into the party, let's build this thing together. But the future is, 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 is solar, the future is green. We can have all sorts of academic conversations about all sorts of alternatives, but I can also tell you the easiest one is the sun. Zimbabwe is full of land and we've got abundant sun. So not too much uh, analytics needs to go into that conversation. Uh, I see. I was actually curious because I thought it would be the other way around. Corporates would be more receptive and then the government would be more resistive, but it's good to hear that the regulator and the government are making it as easy as possible. Australia yeah, is still no, I think corporate, that... It's a timing issue. Uh, the corporate is also, a, a, you know, when you have got a very... The macroeconomics makes the corporates very nervous to make commitments. So I'm saying to them, I will do the investment in your, in your corporate. Don't worry, we'll put it on our balance sheet. Can you commit to a seven year or 10 year? The corporate is saying, oops, no man, how do I commit to a seven years? I'm not even sure if I'm going to be around for the next seven months. So that's a difficult conversation and I hear them. But, and then I think the other side is then the corporate tries to put it on their own balance sheet. And I'm saying, well, shouldn't you be using that CapEx to focus on your core business? So we get stuck in between that conversation, but it's beginning to progress. I think we've seen Deltas, the Swaps of this world, obviously Econet of this world, uh, the Kefalos of this world beginning to make that leap of faith and the results and the benefits has been significant that I think the confidence is, getting, is, is building up. So I think the issue is really, you've got the roofs that is idle and you've got a car park that is a dumb car park. Allow me to cover your cars and start generating power for your business. Allow me to put PV on top of your roof and start saving you energy, a uh, cost of energy and give you some energy security. And you have to remember, for Zesa to survive, they need to start charging the correct price. And when they get to that space, then the cost of energy is going to be much higher than what it is today. Interesting. So are there any sort of deals you have planned um, in Zimbabwe or that the ones you can speak to that are close, uh, that you can say, oh, no, we've made progress with uh, X, Y, and Z corporations, or we've made uh, progress with X, Y, and Z property developers who want to lease out their spaces to say, listen, solar's the future. Let's begin to invest back. And especially now with Zessa's net metering, 
that a grid-type system is the ones DPA offers. You can then put that energy back onto, you know, um, onto the grid and, you know, uh, essentially help balance the, 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 the power deficiency in the country. Are, you, are, are there some deals that you can speak to uh, in respect to that? Um, so I would answer, uh, so the best way is we've got around 65 megawatts worth of projects that are at a very different, at different levels of development. Some are getting signed, some are already signed, some are sitting at board level, uh, and some are sitting at desks of the legal. So nearly 65 megawatts in Zimbabwe is what we are building towards. We've got quite a very healthy pipeline, so we are very excited about that. So you can name every blue chip. They are on our book. You recently saw that we've been working with, with Kaman like Total. So we've got quite a lot of that pipeline. And I think what you get is once the first, what we call the first nervousness about the, the proposition, the financial innovation we've brought in through this lease model. Once corporates went past that, the next conversation became much easier. If you look at SWEPs, we've probably done more than four or five of their uh, assets across the country. Uh, and they're probably going to be one of the blue chips in the, in the country that is going to completely go off green and probably be one of the most competitive companies globally for from a carbon effect point of view. So we've got nearly 65 megawatts. Now you mentioned the net metering. That's one of the reasons I'd said the government in Zimbabwe has been exceptionally and the regulator very progressive and very forward looking. To date for a hundred kilowatt system, you are allowed to do net metering. So you could actually generate enough power and feed some of it to the grid and be able to, to reduce your cost because it doesn't help if you've got a load shedding, it doesn't help if you've got a blackout because then I need to be able to draw that power at some stage. And if the if Zesa disappears, then you won't be able to draw that power. So it's a chicken and egg situation. We do need the grid to stabilize for net metering to work well, but that is it may, the regulation is there and it's very progressive. For instance, one of our sites uh, it already has a net metering functional. The government has also been trying to increase the sizes of the systems that we can build. Uh, there is a, a significant opportunity to increase the size of the system that one can build um, and without needing a license. And that's a very important milestone that the government was working on, but they move, they're progressing very well in that regards. And so that helps our case in being able to start building much bigger systems. There is also an opportunity for certain communities to start generating their own power and consuming that power without necessarily having to rely on the grid. So if you look at most communities, most of the estates that are emerging in Zimbabwe, they could do with an opportunity to build say a one megawatt as an estate. And we are happy to make that investment and we can wire the entire estate with energy and we can actually build a microgrid around an estate, around a university campus, around uh, a new community that are emerging. And some of the suburbs might actually be candidates for that. And certainly mining communities will be great candidates for such. Our view is very simple. Uh, you could look at distributed energy as a competitor, or you can look at as actually a complementary feature of the energy mix. We will never be able to take business away from say Zesa we can only improve actually Zesa's performance. In fact, there is a unique opportunity that exists because Zesa today 
has got a very unique infrastructure within their midst. And in my other life, when I talk to entrepreneurs, I share the story of Domino Pizza, that they started preparing pizza and selling pizza, delivering pizza. And when they did their economics, they found at some stage, they were making more money from delivery of pizza than actually making the pizza. So they started developing competence and capacity to become a delivery company. Zesa today can be a generator, it can be a distributor, but one of their unique assets is the transmission infrastructure that they have. We as distributors or IPPs can start building power plants across the continent and feed, use their infra across the country and feed that power through the Zesa network and deliver it to mines across the entire country, which means they can use their transmission as a highway to carry power from point A and deliver it to a customer who is in point B. They could actually charge for that service and that service will make more money. Trying to, so I, I think the, the, the government has also been very progressive in not trying to protect that monopoly. There's no need for monopoly if you have a monopoly over nothing. It's important to actually leverage on some of the assets that you have. And the transmission infrastructure, the distribution infrastructure is one of the most unique infrastructure that the utility owns, which can be monetized and actually create a lot of money for the government and can certainly open up and stabilize the energy sector in the country. Uh, I see. Um, well, all right. EV for a second. Oh, sorry about that. I think we had a delay. Ed, are you back? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm back. Just. Uh... Oh, okay. So, did you ask the question on the EV network? I think it might be having connection issues. Um, yeah, on, on electric vehicles. Uh, glitch in the network. Uh, yeah. All right, so, so saying I'm gonna be, I'm gonna just touch on EVs. One point, they like seemed like a far off dream in Zimbabwe. Ah. So, so Valentine, Edwin needs a good power system in his house and he could certainly make do with a stable liquid connection in his house too. So <laughs> nice that we have out of those two. So we can make we can we can make corrective decisions. I, I think that is needed. Um, Good. So I could start with this. Uh, so there is a conversation. You mentioned the Zola partnership. Zola is a, a player that we have been working with for quite a while. They've got a very interesting technology that we would like to utilize to really address the challenge of power and storage, particularly in the, within the residential area. Now, our CNI, as I said, really started 50 kilowatt upwards, but our residential systems is up to 10 kilowatt and anything from a two kilowatt to 10 kilowatt, which is a home in, in Fakos, can be powered with a two kilowatt and can look after most of the critical loads. Our view and our attitude towards energy in Africa needs to change. 
So in Zimbabwe too, there are certain things that we have to, has become a new reality. So for instance, it's great to actually, you should start looking at using gas for your stoves uh, because it helps reduce the cost of energy, especially if we have to come in and reconfigure your energy mix in your home. So our a solar system, we call it the infinity system, is scalable from as little as 2.7 kilowatt, which can power easily and carry what we call the critical load of a Mufakos home. So what is the critical load in Mufakos? They want, if I'm living in Mufakos, I want to make sure that my internet can work. I want to make sure that my, 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 my phones can be charged. My lights are working. My kids can study and I can actually work from home. That 2.7 kilowatt system can deliver that. And it, it comes in with some small PV to make sure that that home can be taken care of. But I can move from Fakos all the way to Mount Pleasant to Borodale with that same infinite system by just adding more batteries and more inverter systems on top of it, all the way to a 15 kilowatt home, which could be a high-end home or actually what we call a home office. So most NGOs will be able to be kept, taken care of by such a solution. So we've gotten into this partnership with Zola Infinite to have an exclusive distributorship across the continent. Now, what do we like about them? We don't try to be all things to all people. We, there are technologies out there that are tried and tested. So we work with your tier one technologies, whether it's solar panels, whether it's Tesla Powerwall. As you know, we have rolled out the largest Tesla Powerwall deployment in telecom towers in Africa. Now, I always get into trouble with that statement, but until I'm disproven, we've got the largest <laughs> rollout of Tesla Powerwalls in Africa today onto our telecom infrastructure, right? So that allows us to work with the tier one technologies. So we don't have too many unknown variables in our mix. So when we show up at your house and we're deploying a solution, no worries, you don't have to open the bonnet to see if it works it will work. When we deploy a megawatt for business, it works. And so we work, Zola Infinity is a Silicon Valley based business and they are actually an offshoot. We're working with um, Elon Musk at the very early stage. So he also has got some interest in there and his cousins have some interest in there. So these are people that have cut their teeth, they paid their school fees and they actually know how the technologies work. So we work with them. Uh, so, and, and we deliberately choose such as our technology partners so that, because remember in some cases, we actually make the investment ourselves. We keep the systems on our books for the next 15 years. So I cannot afford a cheap Chinese battery for that matter, nothing wrong with the Chinese. Most of our batteries come from China, but there are some cheap ones and we can't give you a cheap Chinese battery. Unfortunately, we'll give you the more robust Chinese battery that can last the next 15 years and we have got to put our name on it and we've got to guarantee that it can generate electrons. So that's the key in the partnership with Zola. Now onto, infinite, onto the EVs, you saw recently that we know that there's been a challenge in a number of African countries, Zimbabwe included, when it comes to foreign currency, availability to access to fuel, et cetera, et cetera. So one of the new opportunities that emerging globally is that the, Fossil fuel cars the way we know them to date 
are becoming a thing of the past. A lot of your motor vehicle companies out there have made the public statement that they are phasing out their fossil fuel vehicles. And so we can either wait until then we become a dumping ground or we can be a lot more forward looking and progressive. So we've got a sister company, VIA, that has bought a few electric vehicles in Zimbabwe and they needed electric charging platform. And we've started rolling out that electric charging platform in the country. And it's working on our solar systems. It means our power systems. So it's nicely integrated and fits very well into our core business model. Ah, great. And so uh, what about rollout, uh, the rollout timeline for charging stations in Zimbabwe? I mean, right now we are aware of three of uh, EV charging stations that are available, I think in the Masasa area. Um, there was also mentioned that a number of them would also be deployed um, across the country. Uh, any rollout as yet of when those will be available? So it's a progressive process. Uh, we have been working with the regulator. We have actually facilitated to ensure that the regulator gets the technology, both the vehicle and the charging platform so that they can be comfortable. Uh, the desire, uh, according to the regulator, is that they would like to make electric vehicles duty-free and all these kind of niceties that makes an electric vehicle much more cheaper and much more affordable in Zimbabwe. The, so uh, we have actually deployed a system with the, a car with the regulator with that in, in, in mind to facilitate that they can be made duty-free. And if you wanted a Nissan, you will probably be able to find a much cheaper Nissan, which is electric, than a normal fossil fuel Nissan today, petrol-powered Nissan. Secondly, our Nissan should be able to drive across the entire country without you having to worry about the charging platforms. So the rollout will also follow the day in a life of my Nissan driver. He spends a lot of his days in Harare. So he has got up to 200 kilometers of charge at any one point in time, which means he can do most of his routines the entire week and he'll be able to have a place to charge. We are then going to follow the main cities. So he should be able to leave Harare and go to Ntare and back. He should be able to leave Harare and go to Buluwayo and back and even proceed to Victoria Falls and be able to charge. So we're following that. The cars are becoming a lot more advanced, a lot more robust, the storage system, a lot more robust. So we're now working with that as a framework. Now, part of the conversation is also starting to enable the actual availability of motor vehicles into the country because the chicken and egg situation, I don't need the charging platform if I don't have the cars but you can bring the cars if you don't have the charging platform. So we've taken the first mm. leap of faith and we're now working with a number of financial institutions to say, hey, start opening. Uh, you've got a lot of money. There's a lot of money out there in the world which is meant to really uh, enable climate, climate, uh, in, climate initiatives like this one. So we are challenging the banking community in Zimbabwe to start offering loans, for instance, to a number of corporates and individuals that are looking to bring in electric vehicles because the infrastructure is going to be there. So just the same way we rolled out telecom towers, we're also going to just follow the same 
with EV charging platforms. So as the demand increases, we'll also increase the penetration of the charging platforms. But uh, at the moment, we are also we are seeing a lot of traction. There's a lot of excitement, both locally among the clients, but also even among the investment community. Some of the banks are beginning to warm up to the idea of actually extending facilities towards electric vehicle cars. We are also encouraging entrepreneurs to come on board. Uh, you can go out there and start trading all this cool stuff, bitcoins, derivatives, or you can just bring in electric vehicles and sell it to the market. You could actually make a very decent margin out of it. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> oh, impressive. So I, I like how you mentioned framework there in terms of um, the legislation around EVs, but also I was curious about the part when it comes to compatibility. Is there a list of uh, vehicle models or a list of actual specific vehicles that you will be supporting on your charging stations? Okay, so my, my, my uh, learned friends would tell you the actual name of the platform. My, the ordinary man like me tells you that most of the, there are only probably two platforms, charging platforms that exist today. And we intend to support both charging platforms. So I could conceivably say with a lot of comfort and confidence that bring any electric vehicle, we'll be able to find a charger for it. So there is a dual charging platform that exists right now. I think the one is called CS3. Most of the vehicles are compatible. I think just like the way they've rolled out most of your plugs, these things work. Um, so the, most of the charging platforms come with two uh, platforms. So you can charge most of the vehicle within those two platforms. Almost 80% of the vehicles are covered to 90%. So you, you could obviously just double check with the team uh, if you need any more information, but yeah, I'm very comfortable with the, uh, we are now building a more universal platform for charging. Uh, as you can imagine, the likes of China have gone very aggressively on electric vehicles. Uh, the likes of Japan have gone aggressively on vehicles and they are basically standardizing it. Uh, just like, you know, the where you put your fuel is also quite standard now. So that is where the technology is going, but there's, also room for adapting some of the, uh, for some of the vehicles. But the ones we've seen to date are covered by the technology that we've brought on board. Okay, um, that's cool. So earlier you mentioned um, Domino's Pizza and I'm a pizza fan. Uh, so something that's on my mind is, is DPA going to look at um, crowdsourcing energy, kind of like Sun Exchange, where if my favorite pizza place um, does not have solar, they can come to DPA and crowdsource for, for the solar installation. So I would be able to buy solar cells. And then once um, there's enough bots, you then install at Joey's and I get to have an investment that I get to make some returns on. And both of us, we accelerate um, the adoption of solar. In short, yes. Uh, particularly for our Ugesi business, which is the, uh, the, our, our rural business. I can tell you that we have already started conversations to really crowdfund as we build some of these communities. Uh, we actually got approached, particularly Matebeleland, continues to be a fascinating place for us, but some young um, 
people in the urban areas have come to us and have says, I've got my community. Uh, I see you've got a beautiful concept, this Ugesi concept, it's a fascinating concept we'll share it with you. I like to become an Ugesi farmer. I would like my, 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 my community to become an Ugesi site. And we also want to make an investment. So we have started actually building a narrative and crowdsourcing to build that. So that not only are you also capacitating and enabling your community, but you're actually creating an investment and creating an economy out of your community. So the short answer is yes, that is started. Um, we will share more details in due course, but we've got a lot of interest from uh, investors, individual investors, and some are actually people coming from that community coming together and says, we've got X amount of money, who like our community to be connected. And we come to the party with the technology, with our, our distribution me mechanism, and we do what we do best. And they end up becoming a, a small equity investor in an SPV created for their community. So if you are like me and you come from Rishawane, Majiwa, I would like, I'm encouraging some of my fellow uh, village, village boys to say and girls, come let's lit up our, our, our community and let's proudly give back in a sustainable manner in the process actually creating a new economy that benefits everyone in the community. So that's something that we are working through on our Ugesi platform. It doesn't apply to the other businesses because those other businesses are a bit more complicated and so sophisticated enough to raise their own capital. They're attractive enough and they are, they've got annuity retains to be able to attract pension funds out there. But for the rural, especially rural, there's what we consider, it's an impact investment. We're looking for impact investors. And those impact investors range from just an ordinary man to foundations. We've got foundations that are now interested now, Ugesi, some one of them has actually made an investment. We're inviting foundations, we're inviting individuals, we're working with the local communities and certainly the regulator is making it easier by giving us licenses to quickly both generate power and also transmit that power within that community. We're also working with the uh, uh, agricultural experts in Matebele in particular, we have got a fascinating partnership with a gentleman called Peter Cunningham of Amara, who is our off taker for our chickens. So we have got we're trying to eventually have a hundred villagers all generating a thousand day or chickens every six weeks. And Peter Cunningham will take his trucks and he go buy those chickens from those villagers and in the process creating a market for those villagers. In fact, in economics, you say Setaris Paribas, everything being equal, when you visit that place 18 months later, you will not be able to recognize that community because if you can imagine a thousand chickens with one farmer, we are working mostly with the women in the village. A woman with a thousand chickens at an average of $5 or even $4 per chicken every six weeks, you can do the numbers. That elderly woman, by the time the year runs out, should have generated a significant income and possibly some very decent EBITDA to a bottom line and we have secured the off-taker for her. And that's what makes us unique. Oh, fantastic. Um, 
we'd like to thank you, Norman, for joining us, uh, for all the insights you've given us and shedding light on DPA's work uh, beyond the stuff that uh, we come across on the internet. Uh, it was a pleasure to speak to you and thank you for taking the time out of your busy day um, to have a conversation with us. Thank you, guys, and look forward to working with you in the future. Thank you very much. Uh, and thank you to Ed and uh, Farah for joining us, uh, as usual. I don't have to thank them because they have to do this. So, yeah, guys, thank you for being around. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, so to everyone listening, um, thank you for joining us. Hopefully this was insightful. I'll leave all the links to DPA and all the works they've been doing in the links below. So you can go check it out for yourself, uh, Zimbabwe-specific and, uh, and African general and their general deals. So you can have a, a deeper read as to what the company is up to. Right, so uh, from all of us, thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Bye.